good to be with you this morning, and I uh, appreciate the opportunity to join you. Uh, my wife and kids regret that they were unable to come. We were uh, visiting with my parents for Thanksgiving over in Indiana, and then uh, my daughter got sick in the middle of the night, so we headed home, and then we got home, and the next day my son started getting sick all day. So thought it best if they would uh, stay home, so they were uh, sorry they weren't able to be with you here this morning, but uh, thankfully I haven't got it yet, so I'll be here, so. Uh, as I said, I'm grateful for the opportunity to look at the, the Bible with you together. And, and obviously, we've just had Thanksgiving and, and hopefully a good time uh, visiting with family, uh, visiting with friends. And, and as we think about things to be thankful for, as we sort of conclude that and think on toward Christmas, I, I want us to give this morning yet another reason to be thankful. And this has to do with the character of our God. So turn with me to Genesis 22. And as you're turning there, uh, obviously Genesis uh, in this part of it is, is giving the story of a familiar Bible character, uh, the man named Abraham. In uh, chapter 12, he receives a call to go, get up from his father's house and, and his family and, and all of these things that he knows, the place where he's lived, and to go to the place that God would show him. And Abraham goes. He obeys God and he demonstrates that he is a man of faith. Not with, not with perfect faith, there were moments of doubt, but yet a man of faith. And we go through and the story continues. He arrives in the promised land. And, and we, we think of other things that we uh, uh, consider about Abraham. The fact that he didn't have a son. And he, he dearly longed for a son. And God promised him a son. God promised him way back in chapter 12, a land and seed and a blessing. And, and yet that promise hasn't been fulfilled yet. He and his wife are, are, are getting later in years and no son. And so as we consider that promise and and then God gives him that son finally. In chapter uh, 21, the Lord took note of Sarah, did for Sarah as He had promised. Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time which God had spoken to him. And so finally, after these long years, some 25 years, Abraham finally has the son of promise, Isaac. More time passes, uh, probably another uh, 10 to 15 years. Isaac is now probably a teenager and Abraham comes to a moment of decision. God tests Abraham's faith. God has provided for Abraham in the past. God protected him on the journey to Canaan. God gave him the son of promise. But now God is asking a great and difficult thing of Abraham. And will God provide again in this circumstance? I want us to see this morning that the Lord will provide. And let's, look, uh, let's read through uh, chapter 22, verses 1-18. through 18. It says, Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to the young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. 
Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, In the mount of the Lord it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declared the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba and Abraham lived at Beersheba. And we look at these verses and we say, how do we see that the Lord will provide? Well, I think the first thing that we can see is that the Lord provided for Abraham in this account that we just read. Look at verses 1 and 2. We see that God requires a sacrifice of Abraham. Verse 22, or verse 1 of chapter 22 says, God tested Abraham. And in verse 2 it says, Take your son Isaac, offer him as a burnt offering. God's very specific about what He wants Abraham to do. He says, Take your son. Well, Abraham had two sons. But He says, Take your only son, whom you love, the son of promise. And then He names him by name, Isaac. So there was no, no question of, of what God was asking him to do. God requires the sacrifice of Abraham. And we look at this test, and, and, and our first reaction, at least mine is when I read this story, is why would God ask this of someone? Because if we think later in the Old Testament, God had the nation of Israel wipe out their enemies who did such things as human sacrifice and, and killing their children in, in idolatrous practices. Why would God ask Abraham to do this thing? Is human sacrifice okay? And our first reaction is, no, absolutely not, under no circumstances. But we have to be careful in how we answer that because this is not Christ Himself a sacrifice in our place. A second aspect that we need to keep in mind as we consider answering this question of why did God require this of Abraham is that we can either emphasize the test or we can emphasize God's provision. We can question whether God was right in asking this from Abraham or we can see God's character demonstrated and how He provided uh, a sacrifice in the place of Isaac as we'll see a little bit later. I think that there is at least two reasons why God tested Abraham in this way by telling him to sacrifice his son Isaac. The first was to test and to demonstrate Abraham's faith. Did Abraham love God enough to do what God asked, even if it meant giving up the son that God had promised, that God had provided after so many years? We read in 1 John, of course, that, that to love God means to obey Him. It said, if you love Me, you'll keep My commandments. Abraham was tested whether he would obey what God had asked him to do. 
And then I think another and perhaps more compelling answer is that it's to foreshadow the death of Christ. What happens here points to what will happen with Christ later in the Bible, which we'll look at in a few moments. So Abraham's commanded in this test, sacrifice your only son Isaac. What happens next? We look at verse 3 and we see that Abraham obeys. It says Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey. He didn't, he didn't delay. He didn't, he didn't wait. He didn't say, you know, I'm going to you know, drag it out as long as possible. He got up first thing in the morning. He gathered supplies. He took some servants with him and his son Isaac. And he went and did what God told him to do. And so despite moments of doubt in Abraham's life, the incident with, with Hagar and Ishmael and the, the times when he lied about his wife being his sister so that he wouldn't be uh, uh, killed and his wife taken to be part of a harem for one of the rulers in the area, despite those moments of doubt, the overwhelming testimony of Abraham's life is that he was a man of faith. And this is demonstrated here because he just obeys. He does what God tells him to do. God says, sacrifice Isaac, and Abraham still believes God. Now, God... Abraham needed a son for God's promise of him becoming a great nation to be fulfilled. If, if God has said, the great nation will come through this son Isaac, and Isaac hasn't had any family yet, Isaac hasn't had any children, how could God's promise be fulfilled without Isaac? If Abraham kills him, how will this promise be fulfilled? Abraham didn't know, but he trusted in God's goodness. And in Hebrews 11, it says that Abraham had faith that even if he took his son and he sacrificed him on that altar, God would raise him back up again and the promise would be fulfilled. You notice his faith when he says in verse 5, I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you. Abraham is confident that the two of them are going to walk up onto the mountain and the two of them are going to walk back down. Now, God obviously provided in other ways in the, in the Bible. God provided in the example of uh, when Cain killed Abel. God provided another son, Seth. But I think in this case, Abraham is confident that Isaac is going to go up on the mountain with him and Isaac is going to come back down. And it's clear that, it, that he has taught Isaac to trust God as well. Isaac was not a baby in this case. Isaac, Isaac is old enough to talk, to ask intelligent questions. Uh, in verses 7 and following, where's the... Where's the lamb for the sacrifice? And he's also old enough to carry the wood for the sacrifice, so he's probably not you know, a three or four year old. He's probably uh, a teenager. The word that's used here uh, could be anywhere from like age three up to age 25 is the sort of the age range it's describing here. But probably we're looking at someone who's a teenager. He could have said, you know, I don't want to. Uh, my son and I, he's three and we have this discussion often. You need to go do this. Well, I don't want to. Well, obviously, as a three-year-old, I can, I, can, I can make him do it. I try to persuade him to do it. But, but when, a, when he's a teenager, it, it's more difficult to, to make someone do something unless they're willing to do it. And we see the faith of Abraham that he's taught to Isaac demonstrated in the fact that his son is willing to obey. There's no sacrifice, and yet Isaac goes, and I'm sure he's realizing what's going on when he... He lays on the altar and Abraham piles the wood around him and is about to kill him as God has commanded. Abraham obeyed and Isaac obeyed with him. But then we see that the Lord provided a sacrifice in the place of Isaac. Look at verse 13. Abraham raised his eyes and looked and behold behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham names this place Jehovah-Jireh. The Lord will provide. 
And it also becomes a proverb in the, in the nation of Israel, in the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. This was such a well-known story that it became a proverb, uh, one of those sayings that people say, this is how life works. Why? What's happening here? Why does it name that? What, what's going on here? Abraham's ready to strike and God says, stop. And he says, here's a ram over in the bushes. Take that ram and sacrifice it instead of your son Isaac. Abraham sacrifices this substitute in the place of his son Isaac. God provided for Abraham. And then as that section of the chapter closes out, we see that Abraham, uh, Abraham's faith is rewarded. The Lord rewards Abraham's faith in verses 15 through 18. And in verse 16, we see that he passes God's test. Because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, indeed I will greatly bless you. So he passes God's test. And what does God say the result will be? God renews His covenant promises to Abraham. He says, not only you will be blessed, but people around you will be blessed. People in time even, those of us who are not Jews, are blessed because of what happens here. And so Abraham's faith is rewarded. God accepts his obedience, which again is by the grace of God. And this story closes out. But the thing I want us to focus on is that as Abraham obeyed, God provided a substitute. And I think we can see some clear parallels between how God provided a substitute in the place of Isaac and how God provided a substitute in our place as well. So I want us to see now that the Lord provides for us. Turn over to Romans chapter 5, please. We don't have time this morning to go through all of what's in the first few chapters of Romans. Obviously, a lot of doctrinal content and and, uh, Paul's a fairly uh, intense uh, arguer in terms of how he develops uh, the concepts that he's trying to get across. But let me just summarize for you briefly what's going on in the first few chapters. In chapter uh, chapter 1, he's saying we are lost in sin. All... All know God. God's, God's character is clearly demonstrated in creation. We look around us and, and we see the world and there's evidence of God's design His hand in it. But not only that, but also our own conscience witnesses to us that there is a God. When we're about to do something wrong, there's a voice in our head until we've suppressed it enough that we ignore it. There's a voice in our head that says, this is wrong. Why does everyone have this? It's a God-given conscience. It reveals, us, reveals to us God. But because all people ignore the testimony of creation, all people reject the witness of their conscience, all are then condemned before God. Paul moves on and says, well, the Jews will then say, well, that's just the Gentiles over here. We're fine, right? And Paul says, you have the law and you didn't keep it. You had the Word of God and you didn't follow it. You too are condemned. You think that you're good, but you don't live up to God's standard. And then just in case it wasn't clear enough of what he said in chapter 1 about the Gentiles and chapter 2 about the Jews, in chapter 3 he says, there is no one who does good, not even one. God says, don't steal and we steal. God says, love your neighbor and we don't love our neighbor. None of us live up to God's standard. And then in Romans 4, Paul addresses the question of Abraham because the Jews' response is, well, what about Abraham? Abraham is the premier example in the Old Testament of faith. 
Surely Abraham was accepted before God. Paul says, not even Abraham's good works could save him. If he was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but he was justified by faith before works, before the covenant, before being circumcised, all these things that the Jews held in high esteem. Abraham was justified only by faith. We are lost in sin according to chapters 1-4. through But we see also that only faith can save you. Look at chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exult in hope of the glory of God. Can religious exercises save you? Praying giving offering, going on religious journeys, being a nice person. Can any of these things save you? No. What, is, what does Paul say in chapter 5 and verse 1 and 2? It's by faith. We've been justified by faith. Verse 2, we have obtained our introduction by faith. Faith is the only way that we can be right before God. Not by any good things that we can do. Not by any good things that people around us have done. Only by faith. In what? Not just faith generically, because a lot of people say, you know, I believe, I have faith, or, or even at Thanksgiving, you know, I'm thankful. Well, who are you thankful to? Thanks has to have an object just like faith has to have an object. Who is the object of our faith? Faith is to be in Christ. Look at verses 6 through 8. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So just as God provided the ram in place of Isaac, God provides Christ in our place. Why Christ instead of anyone else? Why was this sacrifice acceptable in God's sight? Why was Jesus special? Why would God accept His sacrifice and not someone else who threw themselves in front of a car on someone else's behalf or, or any of these other noble, heroic acts that people perform? Why Christ? Well, first, because Jesus was God as well as man. First Timothy 2.5 says that there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Only Jesus is both God and man and the perfect one to go between God and man. As God, He had an infinite capacity to pay for sin. As man, He could die. God couldn't die, so He had to be man. And man couldn't sustain the infinite wrath of God, and so He had to be God as well. Not only this, but Jesus was perfect. Romans 3, we saw everyone sins. No one does good. No one seeks after God. All have gone their own way. And yet in Hebrews 4.15 it says, Jesus was tempted in all points the same as we are, and yet without sin. Christ never sinned, and only He was perfect and lived up to the standard what it says in Matthew 5, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Only a perfect sacrifice was good enough for God. And so unlike Abraham, who didn't have to sacrifice his son Isaac, God did sacrifice His Son Christ in our place. John 3.16 tells us that God loved the world in this way that He would give His only Son. And this demands a response. 
The Bible tells us that all who believe will be saved. And so it's easy for us to hear these truths and say, all right, great, Jesus died, so that sort of automatically means that I'm all set, right? But no, we must receive what Christ did on our behalf by faith. John 5.24 tells us, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. We must turn from our sin to God because of what Jesus did in our place. This was exemplified for us by the Thessalonians. It says in 1 Thessalonians, they turned from idols to God to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. And so the question then, if God has provided Christ in our behalf, is this, have you begun to believe? Because John 3.36 says, He who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not believe in the Son does not have eternal life, but the wrath of God abides on him. And so you and I, not knowing what tomorrow will bring, must be certain that we have begun to believe in Christ, the sacrifice that God provided in our place, the substitute, just as He provided the lamb in the place of Isaac. He's provided Christ as our substitute. And so I trust that all of us have done that here today. But if you have believed, the story is only beginning. The Lord provided for Abraham and Isaac. The Lord provided Christ for us. But the Lord will also provide all things. It doesn't stop with our salvation. Turn over to Romans chapter 8. Let's read verses 31 through 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him over for us all, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is He who died. Yes, rather, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of God? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why do I say that the Lord will provide all things? Well, because He provided Christ the greatest need of His people. We see that in verses 31 and 32. If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare His own Son but delivered Him over for us all, how He will not also with Him freely give us all things. If God would give for us His Son, will He not give to us also all these other lesser, although great and wonderful blessings? We need many things and and we want even more, but our greatest need is to be right with God and God met that, made that possible through Christ. And we see in the second half of verse 32 that God will provide all good blessings to His people. Do you have what you need? And when I talk about what we need, I'm not necessarily talking about a car or a house or a job, although 
Paul says, if we have food and clothing, we'll be content. And these many other blessings God has given to us. But what about our spiritual needs? All these things are met in Christ. And some of these good blessings we have now. For example, we have the Bible. We have the Word of God. And 2 Peter 1.3 tells us that it teaches us everything that we need to know concerning life and godliness. So God has provided for us all that we need to live a life that's pleasing to Him and He's provided it in the Bible. That's one of these blessings that God has provided for us now. Part of the all things that God has promised to give us. What else has God given to us? He's given to us the fellowship and the ministry of other church members as we wait for Christ. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the habit of some, but uh, focus on it all the more as you see the day approaching and, and encourage one another. And so God has given us the blessing and the benefit of other people here in your church body to be an encouragement to you, to, be a, to confront you when you do wrong, God has blessed you in this way by making you a part of a body. He didn't put you out there on your own. You're a believer and now you're out there by yourself and you've got to figure out how to live life on your own. He's made you a part of a church body. Another blessing that God has given you as part of these all things is the security of salvation. First John, it says in 5.13 that He wrote these things so that you may know that you have eternal life. And security is something that many people struggle with. How can I know for sure that I'm on my way to heaven? People who are, who are laboring in false religions never can be confident of it because they never know if they've done enough good. But we didn't have to do enough good. Christ did it in our place. And if we are trusting in that, that's all that we need and we can be confident in the salvation that we have. What's another blessing that God has given to us? He's given to us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit as both a down payment of our salvation and as a helper before us, before the Father. I say He's the down payment of our inheritance because in Ephesians 1 it says that, that is, that's exactly what He is. If God has given us the Holy Spirit, it's a sign, a promise, an anticipation that He will give us all the other things that we haven't yet received. And He's also a helper because Jesus said, when I leave, the Father will send a helper who will be with you, who will teach you all things, He will minister to and among you. These are some, just a few of the many blessings that God has given to us now that are part of these all things. But it's not just blessings that we have right now that we should rejoice in, but also blessings that are to come. And what are some of the good blessings that we'll receive later? One is final redemption. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 I, I mentioned that Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. In the day when Christ returns to judge the world, if we have believed in Christ, we have no fear. It says instead we can... You who are troubled, rest with us when Jesus is revealed from heaven in flaming fire because you don't stand under His condemnation. You don't stand under His wrath in that day of judgment. You stand in Christ. And so our faith will be finally vindicated. Our faith will be finally proven to be true. And it will no longer be faith, but it will be sight in God's presence. We will receive final redemption because God's wrath was satisfied by Jesus as our substitute. We have also to look forward to the blessings of heaven forever. Revelation 21 and 22 describe this in beauty. Here's the, the, the streets of gold, the gates of precious jewels, a place where there is no longer any night and there is no longer any need for the sun and the moon and the stars because God Himself will be our light. A place where thirst and hunger die. A place where God wipes away every tear from our eyes. 
because all that is wrong in life will be made right, will be made new, and we will be in the presence of God forever. And we have this to look forward to as part of the blessings, the all things that God has promised to us. If God gave us salvation, God will fulfill His promise for all of these things as well. And so, do you want heaven now? I was thinking last Sunday morning, I started getting emails early in the morning when I woke up. I I checked and, and here's all these emails. Go out and buy all these things. The whole week long because the there's speculation for various reasons as to why all the emphasis on sales got pushed earlier in the week. But all throughout the week, go buy this, go buy this. And not so much an emphasis on being with family and rejoicing in God's blessings, but instead, uh, focus on all the things that you can get, all the things that you can save money on, all the things you can get a deal on. And that's the attitude of the world around us. Never be satisfied with the things that you have. Never rejoice in the things that you have. Always be looking for something else and for something more. And what I'm telling you this morning is we have far more than we need and definitely more than we deserve. We have these blessings of God, both present and future, to look forward to. And so when our hearts are tempted to be distracted, to be pulled aside, to be dissatisfied, what should we do instead? We should remember these blessings that God has promised to us. And we should also think about the fact that nothing can separate us from God our provider. We look at these verses, God who gives His Son to us will not let us go. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? Who is the one who condemns? Who will separate us from the love of God? No one can bring a charge against us because God's the one that said we're right in His sight. No one can condemn us because Christ said, I died for that person and their sin is paid for. No one can separate us from God's love because who and what thing is there that is greater than God? No one. Nothing. Nothing can separate us from God, our good provider. And so, at various points in life, there are many of us who are in trials who you know, have a family member die or who are very sick or or have all of these other things that are going on, and we struggle with these things, and we wonder where is God's goodness in us? It's in these blessings that He has given to us and that He has promised to us. And so whatever it is that you might be facing, remember this, nothing can separate you from the love of God. And so what have we seen from these verses this morning? We saw from Abraham's story that our Lord is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. God provided for Abraham a sacrifice in the place of his son Isaac. God has provided for us a sacrifice, a sacrifice in our place if we believe and accept that He is the only way to God. Nothing good that we can do. Uh, nothing in my hand I bring, but simply to your cross I cling. That sacrifice is for us. And God will provide all things. He gave us His Son. He will give us all good blessings as well. And so I want to conclude this morning by reading the words to a song I came across a few years back. The words, as I recall, are by John Newton. And it's called, The Lord Will Provide. It says, Though troubles assail and dangers affright, though friends should all fail and foes all unite, yet one thing secures us, whatever betide. The Scripture assures us the Lord will provide. The birds without barn or storehouse are fed. From them let us learn to trust 
for our bread. His saints, what is fitting, shall ne'er be denied. So long as it's written, the Lord will provide. We may, like the ships, by tempest be tossed on perilous deeps, but cannot be lost. Though Satan enrages the wind and the tide, the promise engages, the Lord will provide. His call we obey like Abram of old, not knowing our way, but faith makes us bold. For though we are strangers, we have a good guide and trust in all dangers, the Lord will provide. When Satan appears to stop up our path and fill us with fears, we triumph by faith. He cannot take from us, though oft He has tried, this heart-cheering promise, the Lord will provide. No strength of our own or goodness we claim. Yet since we have known the Savior's great name, in this our strong tower, for safety we hide. The Lord is our power. The Lord will provide. When life sinks apace and death is in view, this word of His grace shall comfort us through. No fearing, no doubting, with Christ on our side, we hope to die shouting, the Lord will provide. Let's pray. Lord, You provided for Abraham. A hero of faith, it's true, but a man just like us who had fears, who had doubts, but who had a God who provides. Lord, You didn't just provide for Abraham, but You provided Christ for us. We were yet sinners. We were Your enemies. We deserve nothing good from You. And yet You provided Christ for us. Lord, You have also promised to give us all things that we need. You have promised to be our God even to the end and to finish the work that You have begun in us. Lord, help us to remember whatever may come into our lives that You are a good God and that You, our Lord, will provide. We pray that You would help us remember these things even this afternoon and this week. In Christ's name, Amen.